Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even death on a cross, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 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 The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So what, what we're, our sermon text today is going to be the text that you just heard. It's the text that we've heard read for the last four weeks by the members of our own community. It's, it's probably, most scholars agree, that, that this part of Philippians is an ancient hymn. In fact, it might be one of the earliest parts of the New Testament ever created, not because Philippians was written first. That's probably not the case. It was probably Thessalonians. But, but because this is a hymn that Paul at least believes that the Philippian church knows already. It might have been a song that they sung together um, in, in their service. And, and some of the uh, scholars think that it was this antiphonal thing where half of the church said one part or a leader said one part and the other church, the other half responded with the other part of the hymn. It could have been something they, they sang or chanted together. We don't know exactly the, the details of that. But what we do know is that Paul is using this part of Philippians as his key foundation to the theological argument that he's going to make. And I loved what Mike said last week that Philippians is the kind of this series of layered stories and of examples of what it means to be like-minded with Christ. Paul's going to use himself as an example, and then Timothy and Epaphroditus, but at the bedrock of those stories, I love that term he used, the bedrock of those stories is Jesus. And most of us would agree that there really isn't another meaningful thing than that bedrock story of Jesus that anything can be built on that's lasting. And this, this hymn is a story of, of Jesus who does not grasp. And what's in the mind of the people that are singing this original hymn is, is a more ancient story of, of Adam, the first Adam. Paul would say in Romans that Jesus is the second Adam, but the first Adam who reached and grasped and took the fruit. It was the one thing that God said, don't do it. But Adam took it and ate it. And this is not what was his to take. Jesus does not grasp. He does not exploit. He does not take. But rather, he gives himself up. And let me be clear about this. The central confession of our faith, the reason that you're here today, whether you know it or not, and maybe you're growing into this truth, maybe it's something that you haven't quite articulated yet, but it is, is present in everything that we say and that we do, is that Jesus is God. And throughout Christian history, there have been those kind of on the periphery, on the fringe, those outliers that have tried to take that central mystery 
of who Jesus is and, and pulled it apart, stretched it apart. There were some that said, uh, particularly in the third, fourth, second centuries, right around there, they could not believe that Jesus was human. They couldn't believe Jesus was human because, because humans were made of matter. Humans were made of flesh, and that was dirty and sinful stuff. And so if you looked really closely at Jesus, if you looked, paid careful attention, you would see that his feet just do not quite touch the ground. I mean, you might have been able to touch him, but really, you had to be careful. That may not have been flesh. Jesus was God, not filthy matter. And the orthodox spirit of the church said, no, you can't, you can't take Jesus' humanity out of the picture. We're going to hold the mystery. I think in our own time, it's much more common for us to not doubt the humanity of Jesus, but to doubt the divinity of Jesus. There would, there would be those who would say, well, Jesus is great and all. I mean, he's an amazing teacher, a very wise person, had a lot of amazing things to do, and his, his willingness to suffer and die, that's, that's remarkable and notable. But Jesus wasn't God. And now the Orthodox part of the church is, is still trying to hold the tension of the mystery, where some try to pull it apart and say he wasn't really human. Others are trying to pull it apart and say he really isn't God. We're, we're trying to hold that together. The sin of our orthodoxy is always pushed against these to hold the mystery that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God. And the way that that is best expressed in Scripture, in my opinion, is in the text that we have today. It's Jesus who gives up, who demonstrates what it means to be God by giving up. He abandons divinity. He clothes himself in human form. It's like the king who sets aside his signet ring to do something else. It's the story of the son of a clothing merchant in a, in a town called Assisi. And uh, his father was very wealthy, uh, very successful. And one day this son found himself on the second floor of his father's warehouse, just taking clothes and throwing them out into the street because he saw the poor in his city had nothing to wear. And he's throwing his father's merchandise out the door, giving it to anyone that will take it. And his father comes to him and says, what are you doing? And Francis turns to his father and said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave it. And he gave it up. He gave up his father's legacy. He gave up the, the, the business that his father was, had established. He gave up his inheritance and everything for it. And he spent the rest of his life serving the poor. His legacy continues in the, the monastic order of the Franciscans. And to this day, their priority is serving the poor and living without so that others can have some. It's kind of like that story of that rock climber who had gotten about halfway up the run. He was on this ledge, and his, he, he kind of panicked, and his legs gave out. He couldn't go up. He couldn't go down. He was just trying to, he was just stuck there, and so they sent the helicopter to get him. But because of the winds and the way that the rock was shaped, the helicopter just couldn't get in close enough to, 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 to rescue him, to help him. And so the, the, the uh, first responder that was on the helicopter, he just made the decision. He jumped from the helicopter and he landed on the ridge. But in the process of doing that, the rope that he was attached to came loose. And the rock climber looked at him and said, what'd you do that for? Now we're both stuck here. And the first responder looked at him and said, yeah, but at least we're in it together. Jesus gives up divinity 
not only becomes human, but becomes a slave, a servant. And you can't miss that word in this text without thinking of the suffering servant from the second Isaiah, of, of, of the one that would come to be Messiah, that would save uh, God's people. But it wasn't going to be the conquering hero. It wasn't going to be the general that rides into the city to, to, to take over. It was going to be the one that suffers for the sake of the people. And that would be how God saves the world. And we can't keep that out of our head, that when Jesus becomes a slave or even a servant, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, the worst possible, most humiliating death you could possibly imagine in the first century. Crucifixion wasn't, mean to, wasn't just a means of torture, it was a means of humiliation. A way for Rome to show, I have the power, and you don't. I can kill you however I want. This is the clearest picture of Jesus' humanity and divinity in one ancient hymn. Luke Norsworthy had this great line about this text. I love it. He said, we serve a God who stoops, a God who comes down, a God who seeks to reconcile and make it right because love stoops. Love forces you to bend down because love makes you vulnerable to things like grief and loss. Love means that they might not love you back. Love means that they might sell you out. Love means that they might never understand who you really are, just what they want out of you. But this is who God was from the beginning. Where Adam and Eve saw, seized, and took, God responds by clothing them in mercy. Where in the story of Babel, the the people say, we're going to organize ourselves to make a name for ourselves so that everybody's going to know who we are by building a tower. God comes down He has to come down to even see the tower. But what he does is he starts a new people who instead of seizing a name for themselves would learn to show who God's true nature is through love. And when that very nation organized to demonstrate love demands a king because they refuse to have God as their king, God gives them Saul and then David. This hymn tells us who God has been from the very beginning beginning. If you ever want a picture of who God is, or how God acts, or how God cares about you, then hear this story. This is who God is. You need to understand that Jesus didn't become human so that God might have pity. Jesus became human so that we might understand God. It's not as if some vengeful, furious God was up in heaven, angry and ready to smite us, and Jesus steps in the way. That's not what the incarnation is. The incarnation is God's fullest attempt to show us how much he desperately loves us and who he is. Jesus, this loss, this step of God, Jesus giving up divinity, becoming a human being, not only human, but to become a servant, not only a servant, but to die, not only to die, but a death on the cross, is is responded with God's exaltation. God raises him up and God gives him a name. Do you see kind of the slope of the song? It starts high, it leaves you in the middle, and then it exalts you somewhere else. It's kind of like some wings. But at the center of the hymn, at the center of the story, is two things tied together, the cross and the resurrection. And this emptying, this pouring out, this giving up of self, the fancy theological term for that is kenosis. 
It's, it's, it's the giving up. It's the refusing to seize. Jesus empties himself so that God can do the resurrecting. And if we follow Jesus, then we do the same thing. In fact, most of us would admit that this is true in our lives if we spend any time thinking about it. The, the, the times in our lives that are the most freeing and the most fulfilling were the times when we gave up. It's the time when you gave up an afternoon of important work to play with a child. It's the time when you gave up flattery for honesty. It's the time when you gave up the stressful or prestigious job for one with more meaning and purpose. It's the time when you gave up the pressure of being popular, liked, or in the cool crowd for your true loves. When we follow Jesus, we begin to loosen our grasp on the comforts and securities or the outcomes, and we trust ourselves to God. We find ourselves being resurrected. And in the text, it looks like God lifting up and God giving. And it doesn't just happen to us. We see it all around. God is doing resurrection all over the place. The other key uh, point in this text is, is that we can't miss all of the everys. You can't miss them. It's impossible to miss them. It is possible to imagine that some sort of like kind of eschatological. It's impossible. It is possible to imagine some sort of eschatological end time event where God forces every knee to bow. God forces every tongue to confess. But that doesn't line up with who we know about the character of God. That just simply does not look like who Scripture paints God to be. God risks self. God sins. God pours himself out. God offers. God risks love. And because Jesus is obedient, because Jesus is faithful, God gives Jesus the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you hear the everys, every, a name above every other name, every knee and every tongue confess? And this is what our mission is. This is why we have church. The point of our church is to, is to lean into the mission that God is calling us to do. Because each one of us has a sermon that everyone needs to hear. Every person, we acknowledge the truth, every person is fully loved by God. Every knee, regardless of color or tribe, is welcome under the Lord's table and into the presence of God. Every gift given by the Spirit has a place expressed in this body, whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, regardless of your nation or culture. Every young adult has a journey in this church to go anywhere the Spirit leads. Every young child is loved and cared for, whether ours by blood or the blood of Christ. Every prodigal a second chance because every day is a first fresh start. God's mercy is new every morning. Every disciple is a pilgrim searching for that new home. Every expression of Highland, who we are, whether that's here in the building or with the college students at the Acre at 5 a.m. on Fridays at breakfast at Beach Street or a small group in a living room or two friends opening their hearts to one another over a beer is an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. 
And together we stand in hopeful expectation that God's promised future that we lean into, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to invite you into the promise of this text. Because the truth is, is that most of us have been spending way too much energy grasping for things that are out of place. And we need to repent. The promise here is that when you take Jesus' story as our bedrock story, when it becomes the place where we build our lives on, we stop grasping and we commit to do what Jesus did. And I don't want to mislead you, my friends. Jesus' path is going to take you to a place of service. It's going to take you to a vulnerable place called love. But the promise of this text is that the story doesn't end with a cross. Rather, that's where our lives begin, and we get to be a part of the vast and riotous crowd of the every. And I hope you grabbed a ribbon as you came in today. I hope you have one with you. There are a few left in the uh, atrium if you want to grab one real quick. What I, what I hope, what we've been doing for the last four weeks, five weeks, is we've been leaving you with a question, a question for you to think about each week. And for every person that's been in this room, we've tied a ribbon of a different color uh, on the mural behind us. Well, today is your turn to put your ribbon on. And so what I want you to do is, is in just a minute, you're going to have a chance to think. There should be some pins in front of you or around you. But what I want you to do is write a word or a phrase. I want you to reflect on this text with me. The, the question I want you to consider is where can you pour yourself out this week to be a part of God's kingdom, breaking through everywhere? When we make Jesus Christ the foundation, the bedrock story of what we do, we cannot help but to see God's work everywhere. And the question I want you to ask is, how can you pour yourself out? How can you release your hand to receive the blessing of God? Now, I want to give you a couple of instructions about how that's going to happen. Be thinking about the question, be writing it down as I tell you. In just a minute, we're going to receive communion up here at the front from, uh, from some servers. And they'll have a basket. They will offer you the blood and, and the, the body of Christ. And after you receive that, what I want to invite you to do is come up here on the platform and take your ribbon and place it, just like first service, on those wings. And then as you exit, kind of exit out the sides. Now, if, if these risers look a little scary to you, we're going to have some people there to help you step up. But if that's not what you're physically capable of or it's not what you want to do, just hand that ribbon to the, the people standing around and we'll make sure it gets up there uh, by the end of the service. And so what I want you to do is come forward, receive communion, and then come up here and, and make that commitment. That thing that you need to let go of. The way that you can pour yourself out. The way that you can serve one another in our city. Name your every. Name the holy ground where you can join God's unfolding kingdom. It's a commitment that you're going to make to yourself, but it's also a commitment that we make together. Take just a moment and consider this question.
And then we're going to pray for communion. if the communion servers will come forward. When we come to this table, we meet the God who stoops, the God who comes down to meet you and me as we take this bread and take this cup. We celebrate the victory of God's love. Let's pray together. Father God, through your infinite mercy and wisdom, you demonstrated your love through us to us through your son, Jesus Christ, who released his grasp of all things, of everything, to become a servant. Give us the courage to do the same. Through Christ we pray, amen. You know, this image wasn't complete until the full body of Christ here had gathered to put their mark. I love the beauty of this because it began with all of these different colors. We're not a mixing pot. We're a fruit bowl. We don't lose our distinctiveness when we come to Christ, but rather Christ exponentially bolts our gifts. But we all serve the same purpose because we all serve the same risen Christ. And so what we see is a beauty of color and Jesus mixed together. And so just imagine with me for a moment what Abilene's going to look like this week. Imagine with me for a moment what the elementary schools and dais and every place that we work is going to look like when we commit ourselves, not living for I, but Christ that is through me. As we let go of the grasping and we open our arms and our hearts to the possibility of what Jesus can do in our lives. Church, be Jesus in our city. And together, let's join God as he redeems the world. May you be filled with God's goodness. May you have the courage of the Spirit within you. May you follow Christ wherever he takes you. Go in peace.